Hi, welcome back to Belonging. I'm your host, Erica Young. This episode, we've got something special in store. Maya Warner is a graduate student at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. Recently, she took a class in audio storytelling taught by Bill Healy, who is one of the producers on Belonging. Maya's final story for Bill's class was about a field trip she went on when she was in fifth grade. As schools in Florida and in other states push back against teaching difficult history and about diversity and equity inclusion, we want to present Maya's story to listeners because it raises its own unique set of questions about teaching history. When you're 10 and you're in fifth grade and you go on a weird field trip, I think it's kind of like you go on the field trip and you go home and you're like, that was my day at school, and then you move on. But we're at a point where there are conversations going on and fear around, like, teaching nuance. So we're going to play Maya's story for you now. And then afterwards, we're going to talk about it with a second grade teacher. Take a listen. What do you remember about your fifth grade self? In 2006, I was 10 years old, attending fifth grade in a mostly white school in a suburb of Cleveland called Avon Lake. I was shy, I played piano, and I loved High School Musical. I was also really trying to fit in, to find my place in this mostly white school. That year, the entire fifth grade took a field trip to a place called Hale Farm. We were learning about the Underground Railroad. It's a field trip none of us have ever forgotten. I have a pretty vivid memory of parts of it. I don't remember exactly. I remember being like shuffled into the barn. Were they like firing a fake gun? I don't remember if there was a gunshot or something and then we were told to run out the door. I do remember, like, running across a field at some point. There was this idea that we had to get, you know, to the line of freedom or Canada or whatever they were telling us it was. Some of the groups that were in this got, like, the storyline that ended with their freedom while others ended with being caught. I remember it starting with, like, we want to give you an idea of what it was like to be a slave. When I think about fifth grade, I think about this field trip. Oh, I think I see it. I see a steeple. This field trip where we pretended to be slaves. So far, it doesn't look that familiar. But... Maybe if I go out, walk around a little, I'll remember it. I've never forgotten this field trip, but still, some of it is blurry. I remember it in flashes. A barn, a man yelling, a whip, and lots of running. So I asked some of my classmates to fill in the blanks. I remember getting there. We were kind of just thrown into this like simulation type scenario. 
where like we went in and they like tried to have like a quick little bit like explanation of like what we were going to be doing kind of in the threshold between the museum and this immersive experience it was pretty small groups like they sent us in in groups kind of like almost almost like if you go to play like laser tag or something like that and they bring you in in small groups for like a rules speech and i remember them telling us like okay you have to like put on this identity like you are a slave in the american south and you're going to be escaping on the underground railroad Um, so I am parked in front of the only thing that I feel like I really, really remember from it, which is a white chapel or church. It looks like a chapel in a movie. Like, it, it looks like a set. It looks like a set. Wow, this is a lot smaller than I remember it. Oh, is that the bar? There's a barn over back behind the chapel, kind of. I have a feeling that that is where the slave auction took place. I remember maybe at the very beginning, or maybe this was like the second part, but we all had to like hold a chain and like walk with a chain as if we were attached to it. We were supposed to be the slaves in the experience. I remember like looking down at my feet and having a, a white man circle us. And I remember yeah. feeling scared. I remember that too. I remember him like kind of like getting down in my face and like grimacing at me. I remember trying to like peek at what was happening and they would like pull out individual kids. I don't remember who it was, but like kids from our class like had to go up in front of everyone and like shuffle back and forth pretending to pick cotton while like someone was screaming at them. I remember it being one of like, I don't know, like one of the more outgoing, like tough boys. And he was like crying because like the way that he was like screaming at them was like pretty intense. the light through the slats of the walls because it's all it's all wood probably shouldn't be opening these doors so I'm gonna close it now did you think it was like did you learn something from it um I mean, I remember it. <laughs> yeah. But like 
Avon Lake school system wasn't a school that was safe to like for black kids. This is Karen. We were in the same fifth grade class. We weren't close friends, but we had classes with each other all the way through high school. We felt more like allies. I don't know if you knew this, but like when I was in fourth grade, I was obviously new to Avon Lake. I remember, I won't name any names, but this kid was like asking me what I was. And I told him, you know, black and Puerto Rican and he was like you're not black I was like why and I remember him saying like because if you were then you'd be like an n-word with like nappy hair and dark skin all this horrible stuff so I just like when I was nine years old to like protect myself from like being outcast at this new white school I just like claims Puerto Rican and it fucked me up it spun just like a whole web of identity issues and like just stuff that I had to like unlearn once I actually left Avon Lake Avon Lake was a weird place to grow up when Mitt Romney was running for president He visited our public school and read a Mormon prayer over the PA. Some of the hot gossip in fifth grade was about a popular kid being half Jewish. We had teachers openly talk about how they thought Obama wasn't born in the U.S. And it's white. Like, really, really white. And I didn't know where I fit into all of it. Even like it's such an alien world. Every time I have to go back, I get, like, a pit in my stomach and this, like, I can't believe I'm here kind of emotion. It just seems like it's a perfect world. Everyone is, like, doing well in school. Everybody's involved in a million things, except for the things you don't see on the inside. People would just say stuff so clearly parroting, like, stuff that their parents had said with such confidence, saying such ridiculous and awful stuff in front of, like, people of color and people who are clearly, like, being hurt by what they're saying. The more I talked to my classmates, the more I thought, maybe I'm just complaining about where I grew up. Maybe we're all just being angsty about our stupid sheltered suburb. So I called my fifth grade teacher. Hi, Mrs. Burkhart. Hi. The one we went to Hill Farm with, to see what she thinks about all this. I always felt that there was a little uncomfortableness with students who were not white. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish that I had explored that a little more. How did students seem to respond to that field trip? There were a variety of responses. It seemed there were some students who like, oh, this is a kind of a frolic. This is wonderful. This is, they, they could really segment it in their minds and say, this is acting. Mm-hmm. But I had a student who was panicking and crying because she, it was so real to her. Do you think that we were ready to go on a field trip like that at that age? Um. 
I hoped that we were because we had been studying the Underground Railroad and especially Ohio's uh, involvement in it. You know, I, I hoped that I had prepared the students to, to go. We did write about it afterwards in class, and I don't remember anything really startling coming about, mm -hmm. but it was just, I thought, well, this is really making quite an impression and maybe more than I wanted it to. Yeah. So I did feel like, okay, am I doing everything that I should be doing? Because this is probably not the most comfortable ratio of students <laughs> when you have one student who is different than everybody else in the class. Mm -hmm. It's not the most comfortable when you're the one who's different from everyone else in your class. Remember when Karen talked about being mixed race? Well, I am too. So I told her about an incident in first grade. I didn't realize, like, I'm only a halfsy. Like, I, like right. my mom is, my mom's Korean, my dad is white. Mm -hmm. And there were just, like, little things. Um, right. Like, in first, in first grade, um, my guidance counselor at Redwood, like, we were having some lesson. And she, she goes, everybody look at Maya. Oh, no. And she says, and she says, do you notice how Maya's eyes are different than ours? Oh, no, Maya. And I was just like, I really don't know what people are seeing. Like, half of you could see me as white, half of you could see me as Asian, but no one's seeing me as both. So that was my little... Uh, Can I say something? Yes. I always saw you as both, and I never found it very complicated. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. that's nice of you but I think it was because that was me you know like I felt like I wasn't allowed to be both either the worst thing I can think about when you're seven years old is being told that there's an us <laughs> and there's an our yeah and that there's a Maya and Maya's by herself it stings I'm, I'm so sorry you had to deal with it I mean I'm sorry that we both had to go through the shit. <laughs> this was the first time anyone told me that they saw me as both. It was a really healing moment. Especially coming from someone who knew what it was like. As Karen and I talked more, we finally circled back to Hill Farm. And she reminded me of something. Her mom was on the field trip with us. My mom was actually, she was a black nationalist. She was like halfway to militant. <laughs> like, that's also a reason why she decided to accompany and chaperone our fifth grade trip to Hale Farm. She wanted us to be on this trip. I guess because she believed in it. I guess because she thought that it was probably like some sort of like exercise and empathy and like literally putting all these white kids right in the shoes of someone who could have been enslaved. <laughs> so that's what I think is so funny about this whole interview. So she was into it. 
she was into it. <laughs> That's was. so interesting. That's not what I expected to hear at all. I know, right? <laughs> How do you like look back on that field trip yourself? I mean, back in fifth grade, I think having an experience like Hill Farm was honestly probably pretty progressive. <laughs> and I think that's like what my mom kind of had to see, right? So it was like, what was the alternative, right? Like having no experience with empathy at all. What is the alternative? How do we talk about history and race and the moment we're living through? If you were teaching again, or if you were still a teacher, like, is this a field trip that you would still want to go on with your students? Um, I'm not sure, Maya, to tell you the truth. There's a lot of people who don't really seem to want their, their kids to learn about the dark parts of our history, you know, whether that's slavery, racism, whatever. And so you sort of tread lightly, I think, nowadays. Do you feel that we were educated about race? No. At all? Like, absolutely <laughs> not. No. No. I can't think of, like, anything other than, like, the Underground Railroad field trip. It very much feels like a school that doesn't know how to have a conversation about race put us in a simulation so they didn't have to lead that conversation with their teachers. It definitely wasn't something that I felt like was handled in our curriculum. And that's why, like, now when it's these fights over, like, kids are being indoctrinated in public schools, it's just so laughable to anyone who's been to a public school. Schools are supposed to be the, the main resource. They're supposed to be a place that can provide you with more than what you have at home. They're not supposed to provide you with as little as they can until until they're at, like tasked to do more. It's funny to grow up in a place feeling like nobody understands what you're going through. And then a decade later, realize that all of us, anyone who felt different in some way, were all going through similar things. We just didn't have the ability to talk about it. What would have made Avon Lake a better place for you? Mm. Um, that's a great question. Oh God, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like that would just be... I think just like more adults offering like a different perspective or being able to be more open. My mom moved to Avon Lake because she was doing what any responsible single mother would do. She wanted her kids to be in a safe suburb that had an accredited school system. It was pretty idyllic, but I think what she didn't factor in is like, how important it is to have your kids be raised with other kids that look like them. How would things have been different if we'd been able to talk about all this sooner?
That story was produced by Maya Warner, a graduate student in documentary at Northwestern University. A few weeks ago, I listened to Maya's story with a teacher named Aisha Al-Shabazz. She's a second grade teacher in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yeah, so what are some things that jumped out at you? So it's clear that Maya went to a pretty affluent school in an affluent neighborhood where it's predominantly white. So fifth grade classroom going on some type of simulation to learn about the Underground Railroad. And I'm thinking, well, if you if you're going on a field trip to learn about the Underground Railroad, why are we having a simulation? Like, why would you put those children in a position to experience that level of trauma? Which what that was another thing that I was thinking, what was the goal of this? Like having these children holding chains and and being round up and yelled at and and hearing gunshots and, and, and you know, what what was the the goal? And if the goal was empathy, there's so many more ways, so many more effective ways to invoke empathy. And and it didn't it didn't they like like she asked them, Well, what did you learn? They didn't learn anything from it. Right. They were only traumatized by it, but then they don't remember learning anything else about race. Right. Conversations and discussions can occur in kid-friendly terms at an early age where kids can begin to develop that empathy to where you probably don't have to go through a simulation like this. And giving those enslaved persons their humanity back, focusing more on their humanity as human beings, focusing on their lives, their accomplishments, their struggles, because that was the whole reason they were able to get away with slavery is because they were teaching people to accept that these people were not human beings. And when you go through stimulations like that, it kind of reinforces that. And you don't want the focus to be on that. You want the focus to be on their humanity. So let's focus on what their lives were before they were kidnapped from Africa. Let's focus on the culture in Africa that was brought with them. Right, exactly. That's fifth grade. Let's go down to second grade. How do we begin these conversations or how do we teach hard history starting at such a young age? Every teacher needs to be self-reflective. And first, look within yourself and think about any type of your own personal biases um, that you may have and try to remove yourself from that. And if you don't understand something or if you you know, don't know about something, go and do the research for yourself first. That way you'll be able to better properly educate your children. OK, after that, you need to think about what end goal do you have in mind? What is exactly that you want the children to learn and be able to do? Because the topic of slavery is so complex and there's just so many moving factors that you can't, you can't, uh, you know, expect second graders, young children to be able to understand everything and to be able to retain all of the information. So you have to think about certain things that you want them to learn and stick to the facts. Stick to the facts and put it in a kid-friendly terms. What I always do is I start with celebrating and embracing the African civilizations first. I teach my children that 
all life started in Africa. And I show them the different things that the Africans built and the different type of civilizations that they had. And so we spend a little time talking about that first. And then I go into how many Africans were kidnapped and stolen from their homes and brought over to this country and were forced to work and forced to do all kinds of things and were torn away from their families and were, you know, treated very poorly. And we do this, like I said, once again, through literature, pictures and conversations. And, and they, they are so smart. They start having their own little conversations uh, and, and bring up things like, well, how, how did they let that happen? And why is it this? Why was it that way? And, and they shouldn't have done that and blah, blah, blah. And they have a lot to add to the conversations, but having those conversations is important. Once again, just bringing the humanity back to those enslaved people and showing them that these were people like this. This happened. How would you feel if this happened to you? That was Aisha Al-Shabazz in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Thank you to Aisha and to the folks at Learning for Justice whose work on teaching hard history led us to Aisha. Also, thanks to Maya Warner for letting us use her story as a part of today's episode. To learn more about Maya's work, go to M-A-Y-A-W-A-N-N-E-R.com. That's MayaWarner.com. Maya's piece was composed by Dominic Cristiano. Lastly, thank you to the producers of the show, Bill Healy, Katie Schneider-Gumaran, Rosa Gaia. The original music, audio engineering, and sound mixing for Belonging are by Sean Brennan. Send us your ideas for future episodes at our email, soundsofbelonging.com. See you next time.